Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, the fall calendar still continuing on as we're getting near the end of our 2022 season. And for a second straight week, Felix Oje Aliassime has won another singles title. And we'll discuss that. And on the women's side, we've got the eight participants confirmed for the WTA finals now. We saw a strong Canadian presence at the WTA 1000 event in Guadalajara. And we will look ahead to the Tevlin Challenger here in our hometown of Toronto. And special guest Ann Bees, who's the manager of officiating for Tennis Canada, joined you to talk about uh, the importance of this event in the Canadian tennis landscape. Yeah, fantastic to have some local tennis back uh, in Toronto at Aviva Center and Sobe Stadium. But uh, we'll start on the men's side. And, you know, I might sound like a broken record, but in a good way, because we're talking a lot of positives about Felix Ojealiasim again, right after that victory, the previous work. Uh, week in Florence. He goes over to the European Open in Antwerp and has just another phenomenal week of tennis, uh, defeating Sebastian Corda in the final 6-3, 6-4 to win his third career singles title, his third on the season. Uh, some impressive wins on the week, particularly uh, battling past Dan Evans in the quarterfinals in three sets, defeating Richard Gasquet, a match where he had 22 aces in total, and Gasquet uh, was producing a throwback performance from uh, his glory days playing great in front of the French crowd uh, sorry not French crowd uh, great in front of the European crowd in Belgium but uh, another phenomenal week of tennis for Felix Ojealiasim who's now back strongly inside the top 10 uh, he'll be world number 9 now again yeah what a great way to sort of uh, move towards the finish line of the 2022 season for Felix and to have these back to back events and, uh, and titles is great and also heading towards the Davis Cup finals where he's going to be you know, um, strongly leaned on to to anchor the squad. Of course, Denis Shapovalov is is joining the party now too, which is great to Canada, a strong second singles contender, and uh, Vashik will be there in doubles. But we really need Felix to be the guy, and it looks like he's playing you know his best tennis right now. What I would say when I look at these results, uh, and I don't want to say however, uh, mind you, he's beating players that I feel like he should be beating. And if you're going to be a top 10 guy and you want to be a consistent top 10 guy and maintain a presence there, then these are the the matches you need to win. You need to be beating the Richard Gasquets, uh, Sebastian Corda, the week before, J.J. Wolf, uh, Musetti, Nakashima. I mean, these are players that if you're a top 10 guy, you've got to be beating, don't you? Yeah, you're you're certainly right. And honestly, he had the number one seed the previous week at the Firenze Open in Florence. Here he was number two, but I would certainly argue he was more worthy of the number one. Hubert Hurkacz had the number one seed, and that was, of course, Felix dropping a few spots in the rankings uh, and not getting updated ahead of Hubert Hurkacz, where he is in the rankings now uh, from that recent title in Florence. But for me, Felix has had a better season than Hubert Hurkacz overall, who's been disappointing at the slams. And yeah, he's. I think that was a crucial goal of his in... 2022 from when I spoke to him at the end of 2021 cutting out a few of the bad losses a few of those losses from you know guys ranked in that 50 to 100 range and 
bringing himself deeper into tournaments on a consistent basis, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. And I think we're realizing now with Felix's ceiling, when he goes and plays these ATP 250 events, when he's locked in and knows how to take care of business, he's going to be a, a contender to win these events every time he plays them. Yeah, and it wasn't so long ago that people were saying, Felix Ocialiassime, when is he going to win an ATP final? Because he had that dubious 0-8 record. And of course, we knew at some point that was going to click and be a thing of the past. And now he seems to have that confidence knowing when he makes it to that final stage, he can do it. I mean, I remember Yvonne Lendl was 0-8, I believe, in his first eight major finals. And look, he ended up having quite a good career at the majors as well, winning, I think, eight of them eventually. But for Felix, what I'm looking forward to in 2023 now is having these kind of results at bigger events, whether it be a Masters 1000 victory, whether it be, and it needs to be, I feel like, going deeper at the slams. I'm not saying he's got to win one in 2023, but he's got to have better results than he had this year. And I mean, you can attribute perhaps his step back at the slams this season to many things. Was it pressure from his results the previous year, having to defend points at Wimbledon at the U.S. Open? Was it tough draws, inform opponents? Maybe it was just bad luck or not feeling your best on a particular day. But whatever the case was, apart from the Aussies, where I think he made the quarters, it wasn't really what we had hoped for, nor what he hoped for. So I think in 23, that's where we got to see the progress in Felix's game. Yeah, one thing I I would be happy with in the sense of his uh, full body of work for the season is I feel like he played some of his best tennis at the front end of the year. And now as we get into the back end of the year, he's playing some of his very best tennis again. Uh, so maybe in that middle uh, section of the season, some down results, particularly probably through that grass court swing, Wimbledon a letdown, U.S. Open a letdown. Uh, but to have this resurgence now, he's 11-3 and three since the U.S. Open along with, you know, some wins where we expect he's the favorite, he should get it done. In those 11 wins, he has victories over Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. For me, those are his best sort of marquee wins of the season, I think, outside of uh, a couple slam results maybe where he did push into the quarterfinals of the Australian Open and had a look at match point against Daniil Medvedev. So if if I'm looking at the way he's trending right now into 2023, and there's still more tennis to play, it's it's very, very positive. And I will say three titles now on the season and three for his career, they've all been on indoor hard court surfaces. And, you know, he's moments away, I think, of qualifying for that ATP final spot he's going to get in, that's going to be on indoor hard courts. I'm not saying he's a contender to win that, but he could make some noise, I think, playing against the, the best eight. Yeah, and look, uh, Felix going to play at the indoor in, in Basel. I mean, there's someone else who shares a birthday with him that did pretty good mm. at that tournament over the years, so maybe he can channel that uh, August, what is it, August 8th, I feel like, August 8th magic and and translate that into some success in Switzerland. Hey, they got red and white in their flag just like we do. So there's another parallel I'm drawing. But yeah, Felix is leading the charge for Canadians, male and female right now, being the lone top 10 presence in singles. But if we look on the women's side, uh, we had four women who performed quite admirably this past week in Guadalajara. And um, maybe we start with Jeannie Bouchard, who is back on the scene and making leaps and bounds in the rankings due to play that uh, I, I think is a little bit surprising given how long she was off the tour for. Yeah, length of time for that absence, um, you know, about a year and a half. So for her to be clicking already and getting a, a match win at a WTA 1000 event is hard to do. And I'm glad that she proved her worth earning that wild card to the event. 
Uh, and then she defeats Kayla Day. A friendly draw, I would say. That was about the best draw you could ask for in that first round to face American Kayla Day. She took care of business there, winning 7-5, 6-3. And I saw a lot of positives. I watched her match in the second round against uh, the 12th seed, Yelena Ostapenko. Jeannie Bouchard falling 7-5-2-6-6-1. She was right in the mix. And it's always a bit awkward and uncomfortable to play Yelena Ostapenko, who is crushing the ball at every turn, trying to hit winners, paint lines. But Bouchard was doing a pretty good job resisting her power at times. Uh, she she grabbed some good momentum in the second set and had, I think, some a couple chances to to maybe get ahead and, and win this match. And I, I was looking back at her stats, and had she beaten Ostapenko, it would have been her first win over a top 25 player in four years. Wow. So okay. Yeah. So, but to, to take the set, given how much time she's had off, she's only played, you know, four or five tournaments since her return. I think it's a really positive sign. I didn't hear Ostapenko's comments afterwards, but uh, given what she said about Rebecca Marino earlier this year, <laughs> I wonder what I what think they were pretty tame. Like, right? yeah. Um, yeah. And we should talk about Rebecca Marino as well, because, um, you know, she continues to just, I mean, I feel like 2022 was, was such an incredible step forward for her and must make her feel super excited about what the next year can can bring as well as she's back into the top 100 and comfortably so now. And in Guadalajara, not only did she make it through qualifying, she won the first round, which again, great ranking points, great prize money. But then Ben, her round of 32 match against world number six, or sorry, six-seeded Caroline Garcia of France, one of the players that's been lighting it up since uh, the grass court season, pushes her to a third set before falling 7-5 in the tie break. So really just continued um, positive mojo from Rebecca as she uh, nears the completion of this year. Yeah, she had a phenomenal week, I think, in Mexico. And losing to a player like Garcia, 6'7", 6'3", 7'6". She had opportunities in that third set tiebreak as well. couple chances on second serve returns where I felt like if she had struck a clean ball and forced Garcia to, to come up with something great, she could have won this match. And uh, I, I think she realizes the type of season she's having because she shared on social media, on Instagram. Afterwards, uh, how she was sort of proud of this this performance even despite the loss and look Garcia is qualified for the final eight for the WTA finals so she's been one of the eight best players of the year she was recent semi-finalist at the U.S. Open Marino in this match by the way against Garcia 24 aces 24 aces that's more than Felix put up actually against Cascade uh, so that's that's some of the best serving on the tour honestly and with this performance as well I mean you mentioned top 100 I think we mentioned top 80 now she's getting inside the top 70 with this performance she's jumping up inside the top 70 to number 68 in the world so uh, it's it's really been an unbelievable year for her I think one of her best ever on tour to date yeah, for sure. And I mean, 24 aces in one match. I wonder what her career high is. I don't have those stats. But if that isn't it, it's got to be uh, awfully close. And uh, you mentioned the WTA finals that Caroline Garcia has has qualified. And I think if anyone had said that back at the start of 2022, there would have been some raised eyebrows given her inconsistencies the last few years. But the other spots are all confirmed as well. So we've got Iga Sviantek, of course. I mean, I feel like she should occupy four spots just on her own <laughs> the way she's played this year. Ans Jabur, who's been so incredibly consistent. Jessica Pagula, who in the U.S. has, has really been their go-to, uh, as, as well as her often doubles partner, Coco Goff, is there as well. The two of them, singles and doubles, just so incredible how they've done both those avenues this year at the top of the game. 
Irina Sabalenka, Daria Kasatkina, who also had a resurgence this year, and Maria Sakkari, who has probably been, of the eight, I would say, the the most kind of volatile, although mm-hmm. uh, she had a good performance this this past week. Yeah, she made the finals and she had a big time match win. I, I love a match that has a lot of stakes to it. And her match against Kudermatova there um, in that quarterfinal, the winner booked their spot in the final eight. So if Kudermatova had pulled together that victory, I think she would have been one of the most surprising qualifiers ever for the WTA finals. Uh, but Maria Sakkari overcoming her in three sets and then beating Boskova to reach the final before falling to Jessica Pagula 6-2-6-3. I imagine fatigue was a factor because uh, the semifinal was suspended after a set. So Sakkari had to come back, beat Boskova, and then later the same day uh, face Pagula. But interesting, Jessica Pagula, like you feel like she's been one of the most consistent players on the WTA circuit the past couple seasons. This is her first WTA, WTA 1000 title and just the second of her career. That's kind of surprising. And and what a bunch of players to beat. <clears throat> Pardon me, en route to the title. Rebecca and uh, Bianca Andreescu, who we'll get to in a moment. Yep. Sloane Stevens, who was playing some great ball. Victoria Azarenka. And then Zachary in the finals as well. And she only dropped one set the entire tournament, uh, which was her first set against Rabakina. So just incredible stuff from her. And um, uh, I wanted to mention, by the way, our bracket challenge. I don't know if you looked at your results or not. And if we even even want to share that, (laughs) I did not get the Coco Goff Krejcik of a final that I I picked there. Uh, How about you? No, I mean, I, I think I had Danielle Collins in the final. I'm trying to remember who she you lost to. She think, lost. You always go for Danielle Collins. <laughs> she lost there. to Zachary, actually. She lost to Zachary in a tough three-setter, which was a big win for Zachary. But my bracket was a complete disaster, which was, I, I mean, part of the challenge here is I think you accumulate, you accrue more points as the event goes on. So there's a bit of a risk in in taking some upsets because, like, if you get the quarterfinal and you get one a semifinal, you'll get way more points than a first and second round. And actually, my first couple rounds, I think I was top thirty and looking pretty good, and then my bracket just completely imploded. I, I think I think I finished outside the top three hundred for this okay. week, to be honest. Okay. I got one thirty first, but I guess that was because I had Coco Goff going somewhat deep. Okay, um, I think I had Pagula for a while in there too. Yeah. Overall, I'm 55th in the WTA bracket for the season. And I guess this is the is this the last event? It must be the last event. That's the last for the counts. women's. We've yeah. got what one more for the men's at the Paris Masters. Yeah, I guess. we'll have the we'll have the Paris Masters for the men's. I'm one yeah. one ten, so I apologize for not pulling my weight because I know we are technically a team. Uh, but I've been doing a little better on the ATP side. I think I'm about 60 something there and maybe we can get a, a a strong finish at the final atp 1000 i mean can't brag about it because it's all kind of fluky anyways but 100 uh, percent. we do want to end up a little bit higher than our counterparts in quebec the sur la ling podcast um because there is a little friendly wager between both sides from the the comps team in quebec from tennis canada and the comps team in ontario so we want to do our part of course and yeah hopefully in paris we can kind of seal the deal we'll have to wait and see yeah, ideally. Uh, we should touch on uh, Bianca Andrescu because we spoke about Jeannie. We spoke about Rebecca Marino. Bianca, I would say a, a strong tournament the way she started, defeating Jill Teichman in straight sets. She battled Pascovita. Kvitova 3-6, 6-2-6-love before losing to the eventual winner, uh, Pagula. Interesting stat uh, for Bianca Andrescu. She's 11-0 and in her career against left-handed players, which... 
I'm not sure why, but she seems to love that matchup for whatever reason. Uh, well, you better hope you never face her, I guess, because <laughs> you'd be you'd be totally uh, you know on the outs there. Yeah, I'm sure if I were right-handed, I would have no no trouble with Bianca. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but my one concern with Bianca, like the one element I feel like she's still missing from her game a little bit, is on her serve. She's getting a bit exposed, and we saw that. Uh, against Pagula, who can really take time away. She's one of the best baseliners in the game. Pagula had 14 breakpoint opportunities in that match, which is a lot. Uh, so Bianca was under duress serving almost throughout that match. And when it's hard, you know, you're not getting free, easy points. It makes things very, very difficult. She gave even a pretty good pushback in that second set because she was down 5-2. She got a break back, uh, but it was it was too late at that point. So she's going to have to find a way, I think, to get a few more free points on serve just to make her life a bit easier. Yeah, and speaking of free points, how about like, um, you know, freer draws as well for Bianca? 100%. Because she's just, you know, she's just inside the top 60 in the rankings. And I don't think... Either one of us, if we even put our Canadian bias aside, see Bianca as a player who's in that 50 to 60 range. Definitely stronger than that. But she's got to get the ranking up. I think play some smaller tourneys to get the points and and hopefully get seeded in some of these tournaments. Because if you look at the players she's lost to this year, my goodness. I mean, when she came back after the Aussie swing there, uh, taking a little bit of time off, she goes down to Sabalenka, Pagula, Sviantek, Bencic, Pliskova, Garcia, Rabakina, Wimbledon, and then even recently Garcia, Goff, and Pagula. So, like, there's no easy matches, and I get mm. that as you progress deeper in a draw, yeah, you're not going to face, you know, easy opponents. But some of those early tournaments back, she was facing those women early on, and uh, and tough to expect good things to happen when you've been off the tour for a while, like she had been with that six-month hiatus at the start of the year. So... I think to get in the swing of things and hopefully for 2023, yeah, go down and play some smaller tournaments, win those tournaments, get those points, get the confidence up, get yourself a better draw and and one where you can sink your teeth into it a bit more. Yeah, uh, that would be a huge difference maker. She's just inside the top 50 now with uh, the, the match wins in Guadalajara. So that's a little bit of a boost if she can get in. Maybe another tournament before the season ends. I, I think that would be helpful as well. We'll have to see. We should mention there's a, an ITF in uh, Tampico, Mexico, which a handful of the Canadians are playing. Leila Annie Fernandez losing to Belinda Bencic early in Guadalajara, and she's playing the ITF. Uh, she'll play the singles and the doubles alongside sister Bianca Jolie, who is also in both draws. Uh, Rebecca Marino, who we just talked about, is also in the field, and Carol Zhao competing as well. So a handful of Canadians uh, sticking around in Mexico to get some more match play. And selfishly, we would have loved to have seen some of them come up north here to Toronto and play in the Tevlin, the 60K Tevlin ITF Challenger. Not to be, but I mean, if you're already down in Mexico... I wouldn't leave Mexico either, man. I would sit down there and <laughs> enjoy a couple here? of pina coladas, you know, later in the, you know, maybe when you're out of the event and enjoy the mm. warm weather. Um, I can't fault them for that. And for Leila Andy, always played well in Mexico, really pushed Benchich, which hopefully is an encouraging sign that she takes from that result. Uh, again, just outside the top 40 in the rankings for Leila Annie heading in this week. Um, she's two and five in singles since coming back from her nearly semi-final result at Roland Garros, where she had the fractured foot. Um, so it hasn't gone, obviously, as well as her or her team um, would like. Uh, but maybe playing in a tournament that's a little bit lower level, you know, less less top-ranked players. I think she's the third seed. Yeah. Uh, also playing doubles with her sister, which, you know, that's her favorite person to play doubles with, as she's told us many times before. Um, you know, maybe this is a good way to sort of end the year on a positive for her. 
Yeah, I think so. She needs a, a few match wins under the belt as well. I, I'm sure even when she did come back, even though she was fully cleared to play, there's still those doubts in your mind. A foot injury is pretty serious um, of having sort of that full confidence and being back in that form that we did see at Roland Garros, which was such a high level of tennis. This was sort of the bombshell news of the week that certainly I, I think took every tennis fan pundit by storm and by surprise. Simona Halep um, has currently uh, been caught testing positive for a banned substance and currently i i'm understanding that she's appealing but she tested positive for a banned substance at the u.s open and so she's currently provisionally banned until uh, she gets this situation sorted out she issued a statement saying uh she has never in her career knowingly taking taken any banned substance and she if she did it was completely accidental we saw darren cahill come strongly to her defense uh saying no chance that she purposely took a substance on the banned list an athlete that's stressed about anything prescribed to her by a medical professional or any supplement she used uh considered um and patrick morata glue of course her current coach also came to her defense as well uh how how surprised were you by this news for simona Halep? firstly yeah, I mean, first of all, like, I don't put much stock in the whole process, I got to just say, because how many times have we seen before players that have tested positive for something only to have it overturned months and months later? Um, so just the process to me, first of all, it just doesn't inspire a lot of faith or confidence in me. But second to that, to answer your question, I mean, it's shocking. Of course, it's shocking. I don't want to believe it. And that's my reaction anytime I see a tennis player, especially a top level tennis player who represents the sport on a global basis because you don't want to see the sport get tarnished and you don't want to see the reputation of some of our greatest stars get tarnished either. Uh, I mean, I feel like there's not much we can do to speculate on this because none of us know what happened, but I've always been impressed with her focus. I've always been impressed with her determination, but you never know what length someone might go to get an edge. And just because you're a nice person doesn't mean you don't make bad decisions. I grew up idolizing Boris Becker, but at a certain point in time, I had to realize He's a flawed person, and, and now he's in jail for not doping violations, but for mm -hmm. poor financial decisions, obviously. I hope it's not the case with Simona, that we see someone who's, you know, very well-respected, well great with her fans, great with the media, other players. Um, I hope it's not the case, but I think we're going to have to wait and see this process work its way through. And um, and hopefully it's it's one of those ones that that has a plausible explanation. Um but but time and time again, my goodness, we've just seen some of these cases that it just doesn't really inspire confidence in this this process. And it, it doesn't always seem transparent uh, when you get decisions that, that then get overturned months and months later. Yeah. And, and look, Simona Halep, I mean, she's she's been on the tour for a very long time. <laughs> she's been tested numerous times. Uh, she's gone through this process numerous times. And she is as an athlete, whether you like Simona Halep or not, I think. Undoubtedly, we can all agree if you watch her go about her business, she's very, very professional. So I find it hard to believe that she would undergo such a strange risk uh, to get an edge taking a banned substance, uh, because I, I think she is someone who's incredibly serious about what she does put into her body, what she does not put into her body. We saw, of course, this high profile case happened with Maria Sharapova a handful of years ago uh, and she was not cleared uh, of that you know she was suspended from the tour for for a period of time uh, that one was have... a little different in the sense that, was... that uh, she was taking a substance that previously had been allowed 
yes. then got banned. So that wasn't a that was it. yeah, that was not something where she said, I unknowingly took this. She admitted, like, yes, I took this. I didn't realize it had been added to the band's substance list. This is what she claimed. Uh, so people will have their opinions on that. But uh, Simona Hallett, for me, she's always been a consummate professional. To, professional, the way she's carried herself. I I thought she was a player of great integrity. I, I just I, hope it's not like like you know tainted tortellini like we saw years ago with uh, Sarah. I think it was Sarah Arani, the yeah. Italian player. It was uh, from the tortellini, and somehow her mother had knocked over some substance into the tortellini broth. I mean, these are the things that make me just question the whole process. But I'm, I'm trying to have a light moment here. But obviously, it's very serious. And for Romanian tennis fans and Simona Halep fans, you know, we hope that uh, that things work out. And for Simona herself as well, of course. Yeah, of course. And she brought a great memory, I think, in Toronto, winning the National Bank Open uh, earlier this summer. So we'll see what comes of that case. Uh, we do have live tennis this week in Toronto, it's already started uh, with qualifying at the Tevlin Challenger, which is underway. Handful of players, uh, lots of Canadians and Americans there. Handful of players uh, ranked between 100 and 200 and a chance to, to get out and, and see some high level tennis and ITF women's 60K. Mike, you and I will both get down there this week. Yeah, we love this event because it's in our hometown here. It's easier for us to get to. We're both planning on being there throughout the week, talking to some of the players, catching some live tennis up close. Um, and look, we've seen some great rising stars there over the years. I mean, Layla Annie was there as recently as 2019. Bianca was there in 2018. And the most amazing thing about that to me was she's playing here, the Tevlin Challenger in October 2018. A year later, she was competing in the WTA finals and was a Grand Slam winner. Like that you don't see all too often. Mm-hmm. But what what a rise that was within a span of, of 12 months. So I'm not saying we're going to see a, a Canadian player uh, you know, achieve that sort of a success over the next 12 months. But it's always cool when you see some players who eventually will will find their mark on the WTA uh, at some level as professionals uh, at that level. Yeah, definitely. And there are a lot of young, young rising players here. And then there are some veterans, too. We have uh, the younger sister of Aga Radwanska, formerly retired world number two, Ursula Radwanska. She's 31 years old and playing. Yanina Wickmeyer, I believe, will be in the draw, a veteran from Germany. So we have the veterans mixed in with youth, which is, uh, I think, great dynamic. And I also had a chance to speak with the manager of officiating with Tennis Canada. She is the senior supervisor for this ITF challenger. Uh, She's the one sort of piecing together the draws, setting up the format, making sure things run smoothly. Have a listen to my conversation with manager of officiating, Anne Bees. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada, and happy to welcome to the podcast the manager of officiating at Tennis Canada, and she will also be the ITF supervisor for the Tevlin Challenger this week. Happy to welcome Ann Bees to the show. Ann, thanks so much for for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, an exciting week ahead with the Tevlin Challenger down at uh, Aviva Center in Sobeys Stadium. And, um, you know, this is a big role for you as ITF supervisor. Just curious, your background in tennis. How long have you worked as an official and have you always been uh, heavily involved in the sport? Started officiating in uh, 2011 uh, after my children used to play over in uh, BC where we live. And I was looking to get a little bit more involved in it. And uh, someone approached me and asked me if I would be interested in doing some officiating. I didn't really know what that meant and what that involved, but thought I would give it a try. And 
and uh, started as a hobby that got a little bit out of hand and has now ended up as a, a full-time job. I played as a junior in the UK. I grew up in London, not the uh, sports there. So I had always been interested in tennis, had always played, put my kids in when they grew up, and uh, certainly started to become a bigger part of my life. And when, uh, I, I suppose, when did that role evolve, um, you know, starting in 2011 to, to now becoming manager of officiating with Tennis Canada? And how long have you held that spot? So started with Tennis Canada in about 2015. So uh, as my officiating journey progressed and I had a lot of time to, to devote to it, I took some ITF certifications, uh, went, took an exam in Brazil and became certified as a white badge referee. And uh, shortly after that, Tennis Canada approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in joining the team. So I started as a part-time thing, and then things progressed, and uh, now I'm manager. That, that's fantastic. And uh, you hold the title of ITF supervisor this week at the Tevlin Challenger. I suppose, what what are your main duties in, in that role, and, and what's, the I guess, the main challenge uh, and focus for this week? So... My duties here are I'm responsible for everything that happens out on court and then the administration of the actual tournament. So the sign-in, the draws, the schedule, obviously in collaboration with the tournament director. So I'm responsible for that setup of the tournament and then anything that happens on court is my responsibility. So I'll be out by the courts watching the matches, watching how the chair umpires are doing, how the matches are flowing, dealing with any player queries that don't get handled by the chairs, supervising medicals, out there all the time, ready on hand in case anything happens at the end. And I, I mean, we've seen, you know, numerous videos before of uh, supervisors uh, intervening on tough situations. It, can it be a high stress job? And, and have you been in sort of difficult moments? And how, how do you sort of handle that? So I think the key really is, is preparation and making sure that you know your rules and you know your procedures. It's, uh, it's always challenging. Every tournament is, is different. You never know what you're going to face when you get on court. So that's the big challenge. You know, player would like to see the supervisor. You don't know what you're facing when, uh, when you get out there. So trying to stay calm, making sure that you have a solid rules knowledge to fall back on. And so that helps you make a, a good decision on that take some of the stress out of it but uh, certainly you can have some challenging moments but uh, you know, being prepared is key and this week in uh, particular it's uh, quite a groundbreaking week in the sense that it's an all-female staff at, at the Tevlin Challenger I suppose is this a first for you and what does that maybe say about uh, the growth of our sport in terms of an equality perspective and, and how far we've really come yeah, we're very excited to uh, have finally pulled this off. It's something we were thinking about a little bit before COVID and uh, we weren't really sure if we were going to be able to manage it, but we've worked really hard over the last year working on bringing more women into the sport and uh, particularly in officiating. And uh, it's culminated in this big team of women uh, from across Canada and uh, I'm really excited. So we started by training clinics that were women only which is something that we've never done before just to see whether that would bring more women into the sport we've been experimenting with various ways of trying to get women involved and uh, I think it speaks volumes now that uh, 
we have all of these women who are out there and interested in taking a different role in tennis. So we're, we're excited to see how this goes. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Uh, you know, there's so many tennis fans across uh, the GTA and, and in Toronto. For most of them, they've taken in, obviously, the, the big event with the National Bank Open. Um, but this is great tennis as well at the Tav- Tevlin Challenger. I suppose, what would you say to anyone about the level of tennis to expect this week for maybe interested fans and uh, maybe why they should come? Yeah, for sure. Come out and watch. We have players just outside the top 100 here this week. Um, the matches are exciting. These players are in the last few weeks of the year. To some of these girls, will potentially be trying to qualify for their Grand Slams or you know improve their rankings to improve their positions in, in the first Grand Slam of the year. So these matches are are going to be hotly contested. We've had a great run with women's events here in, in Canada. We're doing four women's events in five weeks. So we've got a circuit that's bringing stronger players out. Uh, we were in Fredericton a couple of weeks ago. Big, big crowds at, at night. The 250 people coming out to watch women's tennis in Fredericton. That's huge. Was, uh, we're really seeing more people being interested. So definitely worth coming out to, to watch. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, we hope uh, to see a lot of fans at this week. And um, good luck uh, handling the event as ITF supervisor. Thanks so much uh, for taking the time, Anne. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. There's my conversation with Ann Bees. Hopefully she doesn't have to act as ITF supervisor and get out on court over some controversy at any time. Ideally, that doesn't happen. I think I would be freaking out if I had to handle something like that, especially what if it's like, I don't know, Nick Kyrgios yelling at you, you know? Well, it's tougher at these smaller events too because there's no like uh, automatic line calling. So mm-hmm. the umpires and the lines people really got to be on top of thing. There's no video review, of course, either. So uh yeah, the supervisors, I'm sure, are far busier at the smaller events uh, in some ways than at the, 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 the major ones where it's almost irrefutable when there's a moment of contention or, or, or uh, disagreement. But yeah, hopefully things go smooth, smoothly and the tennis just you know speaks for itself. And uh, we'll be back in a week's time to recap the Tevlin Challenger, to have some player uh, interview in there as well. And, uh, and hopefully some of our listeners, those who are close by in the GTA, the greater Toronto area, make it out this week. And if you're there, look for Ben or myself, because we do plan on having a pretty good presence uh, courtside throughout the week. Yeah, if you come by, feel free to stop and chat and say hi. Uh, we'll be there throughout the week watching the Tevlin Challenger. You guys have been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.